Today, we're going to ask the question that is on everyone's mind or every person who has an interest in staying sane during times like this. Is premium beer recession proof? Now, of course, we have to ask that question because there are all sorts of questions about whether or not we're into recession or heading toward a recession. At the same time, is premium beer worth the premium price? Well, maybe we'll set that part of the discussion aside, but we'll focus on the recession stuff, because as usual during these periods, we've got all sorts of information to sort through. Some of it looks good. Some of it looks really good. Some of it looks not so good. And quite a lot of it relates to what financial markets are doing now and telling us and what financial markets might be doing over the months ahead. Because like premium beer, we like investments that are recession proof. And among those investments are usually longer term bonds, duration and things like that. And if we have time today, I think we should discuss whether or not or why the bond market seems to be holding up really well, even though for years now we've heard that when the Fed stops buying bonds, look out, the bond market is going to blow up. It's not blowing up. The Fed is, is stopped buying bonds. And in fact, the Fed is actively trying to destroy the bond market, yet for all the rate hikes and rate hike rhetoric, yields are hanging in there. So while these seem to be quite loose threads all over the place, they all come back and converge in a single place. And that is with my friend Stephen Van Meter, who has been shopping, I think, at Kroger Restaurant. Right, Steve? So is premium beer recession proof? You know, that's, that's a great question, Jeff, because we would assume that light beer or cheap beer or something that didn't have the word premium in front of it would be recession proof. But I wanna share with you, this is great. This came out of the Wall Street Journal today. It's, and this is from Kroger, the largest US supermarket operator, the chief executive. He, he wanted everyone to know that shoppers are looking to stretch their budgets buying more lower cost store brands. That doesn't sound premium to me and smaller sizes, or is that just shrinkflation that we're being stuck with of some items such as paper products. But he goes on to say, and this is a direct quote, Jeff, if you can believe this, they are behaving as they are as if they were already in a recession. Now, how can that be? Because he goes on to say, he says, wait a minute. He says, at the same time, consumers are shopping more frequently than they, than they have in recent months. And in some cases are still splurging on products they want, such as premium beer. So maybe it is recession proof. Certain things are recession proof, but you're right. How can we have the CEO or major figure in any one of these major retailers talking about recession and consumers when the payroll report in January was plus 500,000? The unemployment rate is 3.4%, the lowest it has been since the late 1960s. Because what we're told, and Janet Yellen said this just over a month ago, or actually, actually I think it was just less than a month ago, after that last payroll report, she basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, the unemployment rate's three, four. We had a 500,000 payroll report. There's no chance of recession. When we've got business, not just business numbers, business stories from CEOs telling us consumers must be hurting. We're seeing it in our revenues. We're seeing it in the traffic and how consumers behave. So whatever you think of the unemployment rate, um, there's enough other things going on here, including the demand for premium beer, that caution against being prematurely optimistic. You know, Jeff, maybe. 
and I'm just going to put this out there. I'm just gut reaction. Maybe instead of consuming energy and buying oil, people are buying premium beer now. Maybe that is just the explanation. Maybe the EIA needs to track premium beer inventories going forward. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's another one, right? The, all of a sudden, we had lots of oil show up in the United States. Uh, I don't know about premium beer shipments, but I do know about uh, export and trade shipments around the world, and they're looking decidedly ugly. If you wanted to, where if you want to identify where we can actually see recession right now and see it very clearly, it's in a lot of trade statistics. We got today uh, some from Germany, which were, well, the. The numbers for December that they showed up, that they, they reported that were in volume terms, I mean, you're, we're talking minus 20% year over year for exports, almost minus 30% on imports. That's by volume. Just by value uh, for January, they said exports rebounded a couple percent after falling by 6% in December. Exports from Germany in euro terms are down since August. In imports, it's a complete disaster. So, and it's not just Germany. We've talked about Japan. We've talked about China. Despite the fact that the China PMIs are robust, according to everybody, you look at all the trade statistics. If you want to know what the Kroger CEO is talking about, those people who are trading goods back and forth around the world, they'll be able to tell you, yeah, I, I see that in my own business too. Yeah, Jeff. And so this trade issue, it's a big deal because, you know, what did we hear from China? Of course, we know there's a slowdown. You've covered those numbers. But one thing that struck me out of, out of all the data that I saw this week was that shipping companies are betting on a big revival out of China because they're parking their empty ships outside all of the ports. And to me, that was kind of more of the, the obvious thing that you would do if you're in the shipping business. You wouldn't park them off a U.S. port or maybe a European port. And you're, if you're desperate for business, which clearly this is telling us because container rates are falling, we're seeing demand falling here. Where are you going to go if you have any hope to get some outbound shipment? You're going to go to China. And yet, what did you just say? We get these PMI numbers. You know, we've had seven months of decline. For China, it's been kind of, it's been worse than that. And I'll let you cover the numbers. I know it's been worse. But you get this one upside blip in the data. And, and we're talking, you know, again, I want everyone to understand a 50, it means unchanged from the prior month. So the fact that we're getting numbers at 51, 52, 53, all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, hey, look, like the global economy is suddenly like the soft landing's over. We're rebounding. This is phenomenal. But, you know, one thing that we talk about on your show all the time, Jeff, is the economy doesn't move in a straight line. There's going to be blips. And if you're going to have a blip, this is about as small as you can get. Now, I think you would agree with me. If we saw numbers at you know, 57, 58, 60, then maybe you and I would have a reason to pull back and say, hey, you know what? Maybe we got some of this wrong. Let's go see what, we're, what we missed. But at 52, I mean, that's just maybe slightly feeling better when you're sick. That's the problem. Nobody understands how to read these PMIs. And it's a big problem. And it's, it's a problem that is understandable because the media makes the same mistakes. So the Chinese manufacturing PMI at 52.6, which you and I said, that's all? 52.6 after, so long, uh, after a, a pretty prolonged contraction, a pretty deep contraction? That's not a good number whatsoever. But it happens to be the highest since April of 2012. So everybody runs these media stories where the headlines blare Chinese manufacturing at the highest rate in over 10 years. But that's not what the PMI data said. The PMI data said exactly what Steve just did, which is that we were going down. And if, if the number was 
around 50 or low 50s, that just means you probably stopped going down. doesn't mean anything about coming back up. It means in all probability in the short run, we're no longer contracting. And as you just said too, Steve, when you look at some of these container rates, the fact that there's so many ships parked outside of China, just hoping and praying that business is going to tick up, these PMIs are meaningless. In fact, the PMIs are actually telling you exactly what the container rates are telling you, that China experienced these non-economic pandemic policies and was shut down for a period of time, and now they're over. That's it. End of story. That's all it has told you. It doesn't tell you the economy's on the mend. It doesn't tell you China's roaring back to life. In fact, we're seeing just the opposite. We're seeing a lack of recovery, which is, I think, gets us back to premium beer and recession. Yeah, because if if you shut down your economy, which China's wasn't completely shut down, they've been doing their COVID zero policy, which maybe for the lack of better terms, I'll just say it largely shut down, it was still functional. You would expect that if you're going to literally open the gates here and say, hey, let's go back to normal, these numbers should shoot a lot higher. But the other thing I want to caution people about that are, are looking at these PMI numbers is due to how they're constructed, you can actually get a number above 50, even though the the subcomponents, the ones that you want above 50 are actually still contracting and you're getting some other things like supplier deliveries, which make it look, hey, maybe things are better than it really is in reality. China's reopening should have actually been a big deal. And Jeff, you know this, we should have seen the PMI numbers go up. We should see oil inventories getting crushed. We should see these shippers not saying, hey, I'm idling out here hoping. They should be like, wow, I, I'm, I'm number five in the queue or 50 in the queue. Like we, there's so much demand. We're pulling ships back that we just are putting in for mothballed or maybe we put in for repairs. We're calling them out because there's all this cargo that needs to get moved. No, we're hearing just the opposite. We're hearing some shippers saying, well, you know, we got some routine maintenance. Some, so maybe we'll start running some ships into dock somewhere and taking care of that. Again, not what you want to hear about a global economy reopening and a strong sign of demand. Yeah, and it's not like they just reopened yesterday either, right? It's not like, you know, the reopening happened just in February 28th and it's just starting to pick up and we got these PMI numbers. Or it's, it started in the middle of February because... Reopening, they, they started talking about it way back in November. And then December, they started, you know, the reopening happened. And then they had this wave of illnesses. And everybody said, okay, the wave of illnesses, December's a lost month. But you wait, wait, just to, we get to January, we get to 2023, by God, things are going to start really booming. And then they didn't. And all we heard was, oh, well, you know, the golden week was moved up a week, a week compared to where it was last week. The, Nash, the uh, spring holiday started entirely in January. And as we know, manufacturers in China like to close down in anticipation of the Golden Week because they can't source materials. So they figured, why bother? So January was a lost month too. So now we got December, we got January. Yes, we were supposed to pick up robustly, but it never happened. And then we get to February and the same thing. And then we hear about, oh, well, there's bad weather because there's always bad weather. Now we have uh, issues with the shipping companies. Maybe there's too many ships. Remember that? We heard that a lot during the last 10 years or the, the 2010s to explain low freight rates. Everybody said, well, there's too many ships. Well, of course, there's too many ships. There's not enough demand for all those ships. So it's been excuse after excuse after excuse until finally we get a PMI number that isn't actually what everybody thinks it is. 
So now we're going to have more excuses to explain why the real economy doesn't seem to be acting in the way that people want to interpret this major PMI number. So once again, we're back to recession-proof premium beer. Yeah, because it's all about beer. I mean, and you start to look at the U.S. data, and what do we see today, Jeff? Same thing with the services. Oh, look, you know, ISM, it's a 55. Oh, wow. It shows us a resurgence in the services sector. Of course, S&P Global, which you and I know seems to be over the longer term a little more accurate. Uh, it was virtually unchanged right around 50. But if you start digging into the analyst, you know, kind of comments, of course, it's glowing and fantastic. Then they start to mention, well, you know, there was a decline in the manufacturing sector and the increase in the services sector. Well, they pretty much offset each other. So what you're telling me is the economy didn't grow at all. We just changed how we're spending money. That's not, again, you come back to, you know, premium beer or light beer, doesn't really matter, is there should be just outright demand for beer in this case. And all we're seeing is people just trading from one to the other. And maybe that's all it is, Jeff. Maybe people are saying, you know, rather than buying a 12-pack of the light beer, I'm happier having six of the premium beer. And in the end, it's all just the same. It's just beer. It's just beer, but it's it's it flies in the face of the unemployment rate. It flies in the face of the establishment survey's 500,000 payrolls. Because if those were in any way representative of the underlying economic fundamentals in the United States, as well as around the rest of the world, let's be honest here. The reason that container rates are so low coming out of China to the U.S. West Coast has to be because of what the Kroger CEO said. It's U.S. demand that is keeping those things down. It's not really problems in China. It's problems in it's China reopening into a global recession that includes the U.S. economy. That's the problem here. And if you look at everybody says, well, the as Janet Yellen did a month ago, the unemployment rate's incredibly low. We've got this 500,000 payroll. And as Steve and I were talking before we started recording here, I actually went back in the data because, you I mean, when you say that you can't have recession when unemployment rates are low, and Steve, you're already laughing because you know the truth here is that that's never the case. In fact, the the I mean, we could pick out any number of examples. And I did a video uh, on this just recently where I showed the 1969-70 example. The unemployment rate was almost identical to where it is today. In fact, the conditions were identical. You had a slowdown. You had consumer prices that were out of control. And you had a low unemployment rate that worried policymakers that inflation would never get under control if the, if the unemployment rate was real, when that wasn't a problem and we did go into recession. But this is, I mean, the most prominent striking example, it has to be 1953. The lowest unemployment rate on record in the United States was June of 1953 at 2.5%. There's a tight labor market if you've ever seen it, except... There was no out-of-control inflation in 1953. But you know what there was? In July 1953, so the very month after the lowest unemployment rate on record in the U.S., a recession began. So if you're looking at the unemployment rate in the payroll report and thinking that is somehow representative of business conditions that are going to keep us out of recession, you need to go back and look at history. Or you need to at least tell us why this time is different, because, Steve, as you know, this time is never different. No, it's never different, Jeff. And if you're looking at lagged data to begin with, well, of course, it's going to show you the wrong thing. I mean, that's why I like the initial claims data. I like it even smoother over the four-week moving average. And all, all this tells us is, 
when things in terms of initial claims are at their lowest, which are which are historically pretty darn low, I'm anything under two hundred thousand. I mean, tight labor market. But Jeff, the conundrum—I love that word. We, this is a favorite word of this show. Conundrum is why aren't the continuing claims coming down? Because if there's all this demand, if the services sector is rebounding, then well, perhaps someone who lost their manufacturing job or even perhaps is having their hours cut, well, couldn't they get another job maybe in the services sector that pays well? Because we're seeing wages increase, of course, that is supposed to be what we're seeing. But notably, the data says they're decelerating, not accelerating. But shouldn't we see that people are coming off these continuing claims, and yet we aren't. And that is a big concern here. You start to come back to what we've been talking about on your show, Jeff, is the oil markets telling us there's problems here. The trade biz volumes are telling us a problem here. The shipping market telling us there's a problem here. The last shoe, and the last shoe to always drop, is the unemployment market. That's the last thing that happens. Yeah, it's the last thing that happened, but we know the difference ahead of time. And we know the difference ahead of time because we have these things. You have these gigantic things with very sophisticated people who have together trillions and trillions of dollars on the line, who have every incentive to to figure out every last piece of information that is available to anybody anywhere and trade on that information to tell us what is the difference between future prospects, and lagging information like the unemployment rate. Now, of course, many people have said we can't look at the the signals from that big, huge marketplace because the Federal Reserve has spoiled it with its dirty QE hands. And having bought a bunch of bonds, what will happen is that once the Fed stops buying bonds and when the Fed starts hiking rates, the bond market is going to just absolutely explode because no one will ever want to touch U.S. Treasuries. So where I'm going with this is that in the context of all of that, including premium beer buyers at Kroger Grocery Store, we have to ask ourselves, why have interest rates gone up so much more at the short end than the long end? With the Fed not buying treasuries, in fact, the Fed winding down its balance sheet, long-term rates should be far, I mean, the yield curve should be steepening. On top of the Fed's rate hikes, we should have even more interest rate and basis points added to longer term yields when we're seeing the opposite. So maybe the bond market is telling us as it has all along, it's not the Fed, it's not the unemployment rate, it is the demand for premium beer. Beer. Absolutely, because what is better when you're confused by economic data and watching us better (laughs) than a premium beer? And I think that's the whole show right there because forget the light stuff, Go buy the premium beer. If we're all for buying that, we're not in a recession. We can't be. It's absolutely impossible. But I think maybe, Jeff, there is some reality to the situation is people cut back in other areas. So maybe instead of going on vacation this year, I have a little uh, bottle of vacation. And uh, instead of drinking the cheap stuff, it makes me feel a little bit happier that I'm buying something premium. And because there's not a huge cost differential in the grand scheme of things, I can get rid of I can get away with that. Because again, I'm cutting my expenses elsewhere. Yeah, during bad times, you have to find smaller joys, right? I think that's that's usually the case. And so, you know, maybe we all need to have a couple six packs just to read all of these news stories about the China Chinese PMIs and all of the stuff that comes out of that. So thanks again for joining me, Steve. Let's talk again next week. Thanks, Jess. Always a pleasure.